Hello and welcome to my podcast channel where mostly, as you'll discover, I have been sharing just my Sunday homilies. Of course, I have been sharing a couple other talks or homilies or retreats and missions that I've been giving. What follows in this podcast is the second part of an evangelization uh, parish mission I gave back in Lent of 2019. I decided to speak to them about Sherry Waddell's book, Forming Intentional Disciples, which is kind of a how-to guide for the new evangelization. So, like I said, I posted part one a while back. What's going to follow is part two that finishes the, the last three thresholds of conversion. And it does a question and answer as well. I apologize for the recording. It can be a bit rough at times, and my answers aren't... Uh, quite uh, completely thought out. So if you have any questions about the content of my talk or how I answered some of these questions, please don't hesitate to contact me or send in an audio question here on Anchor. And thank you for listening and I hope you do enjoy. All right, so we've got um, trust, curiosity, uh, the next threshold or stage that we all go through on our spiritual journey towards Jesus is uh, openness, is what it's called. And openness is being open to changing your life. Now, why is this one important? This is important because people that have uh, just fallen away from the church, have quit going to church... They are going to have to change their whole life to come back to church. Okay, maybe not their whole life, but they're going to have to do some serious rearranging. So it helps us be less judgmental, I find, because we say to people, well, why don't you just come to church? Are you just lazy? You know, like, what's the problem? What's going on? And uh, people have to make it to the point of openness, to be open to change. And to do that, they have to realize that they need to change. And the best, and if they don't realize they need to change, then they're never going to change. We get stuck sometimes thinking that we are the perfect version of ourselves aren't we? Right, Father Charles? He can't get any better. He's perfect, isn't he? And so, why would he need to change? He doesn't need to change. We all need to change. If you tell me that you no longer need to change until the day you go to heaven, well, then you're a saint on earth. Then you're perfect. But you know what? Even the saints knew every day that they needed to change. They needed more Jesus. And this is hard. Change is the hardest thing we do. It's the hardest thing in our spiritual journey. Now, I don't mean you have to go changing your whole life, everything. You know, instead of drinking 1% milk, now you drink skim milk. I, I, that's a big change. Don't don't go doing that right now, okay? Think about it first. But sympathize 
with people that don't go to church. Sympathize with how much of a change that is in their routine, in the friends they have, in so many things, right? Um, so sympathize with that. Now, um, what are some questions? What are What's a spiritual conversation you can have with somebody who trusts either in you, hopefully we, our goal is to get them to trust in God. They're now, now all of a sudden they're curious about how you spend your Sundays, right? They're curious about why you're praying before you eat. They're curious because your life looks different than theirs. And you want them to be open to God in their lives, open to a change in their lives. What are some questions you can ask them? Do you like your life as it is right now? That's a good one. That's a big one, isn't it? Have we ever asked that with our children or grandchildren? Maybe we ask them if you're happy. And maybe all they say is, yeah, mom, I'm happy. Leave me alone. Right? You know, do you like your life as it is right now? Um, we could ask him, have you ever tried praying? And if you have, how do you pray? Like, what does prayer look like for you? Another, a lot of people will tell me, well, I don't go to church, but I still believe in Jesus. Well, what does believing in Jesus mean? Like, if you believe that there's this Jesus dude that walked the earth 2,000 years ago, and he has got nothing to do with my life now, then you don't believe in the same Jesus I believe in. <laughs> so I ask them, well, how, okay, what does your belief look like? How do you pray? You know, do you pray? You know, how, do, how does believing in Jesus, like, or believing in God, how does it affect your life? Does it affect your life? You know, I believe in my mom, but I don't always listen to what she tells me to do. And I, even though I'm old, I still should listen to her. Um, what happens when you pray? I thought that was a good one. You know, it's more than just how do you pray, but what happens? Do you fall asleep? <laughs> you know, you could ask them that. Maybe they, maybe they do pray the rosary before they go to bed and that's all that happens. You know, some kids asked me just, I was at school just uh, the other day, um, and I do question and answer with the kids in school, and they said, I pray and I pray and I pray, and nothing happens, and it seems like God is not listening, and that I'm only doing this because other people do this. I think that's most of our people that come to church. You know, I think sometimes if you talk to one of the people that comes to church this Sunday or in the next few weeks, um, maybe even Christmas or whatever, I think sometimes we feel like that. Do you ever feel like you pray and you pray and you pray and nothing changes, nothing happens? This was this question came from a kid and I had to answer it. What did I say? Wouldn't you like... No, so, okay, okay, yeah. Okay, maybe I'll give you the answer because that 
it was like a bit of a cliffhanger. Well, first of all, there's no real just one answer. Uh, there's many good answers to that. The one that came to me is because the um, the reading in I don't do you guys use those um, living with Christ? The reading in the living with Christ that day was this. I'll read it for you. Pray. Even if you feel nothing, see nothing. For when you are dry, empty, sick, or weak, at such a time is your prayer most pleasing to God, even though you may find little joy in it. Powerful, powerful. And that was the reading for Tuesday, that uh, two days ago, the same day that the kid had the question, right? Like, that's how God works in my life. God always gives me the answer. And I needed to do the work. I needed to do that reading when I woke up that morning before I went to school, right? But God gave me the answer. That's so just if you're, if you're looking for that one, it's St. Julian of Norwich who that quote comes from. So I said to the kids, I said, do you have to take out the trash? They say, well, yeah, sometimes. And I said, do you like it? No. Is it good for you? No. Is it good for your parents? Well, I guess so, right? I finally got them to say, well, it was good for somebody in the house that they had to take out the trash. But we know this. We tell kids to do things they don't want to do because... It's good for you. We tell kids to do things that they don't get any joy out of. There's no meaning in taking out the trash, right? I like I don't get personal like satisfaction and joy and peace from taking out the trash. But it serves a greater purpose. And it's it's good to have that discipline as well. In fact, um, many of our spiritual writers, just like Julian of Nor- Norwich that you just heard, will talk about prayer as just a discipline that maybe our reward will come later, but first we need that discipline. And kids today, in some senses, have lost that discipline because if we want something, we can get it now. Like, for example, I wanted that reading and I got it on my phone right now, right? It wasn't part of my my talk that I was going to give to you. And God, this is how God works. And But it was on my phone, right? You know, even five years ago, I would have had to go searching at Jeans to get the Living with Christ and, and find the twos. You know, and so we're used to having, and so we want prayer like that instantly. And so we have to be able to talk to others about how um, we want answers to our prayers as well, but we know that they're going to come in the future uh, when we wait and we have patience and when God is going to give us that, that time. Uh, some other questions. Oh, this is, I think, is important. Name, when we're talking to other people, we can ask them, name some changes in your life or in in their life, right? Because we all have inevitable change. Whether we choose change or change is forced on us, 
it's part of everyone's life, right? And uh, and so name some changes. How did they turn out? Did they turn out for the better after you look back on it? Or was it worse? You know, and we can talk about how when we're open to God and we're going to let God change our lives, it's going to turn out for the better. Because they already trust you. They're going to trust God. They're going to have to learn to trust God. And now they're curious about why you trust God. And you're trying to get them to be open, more open to to God. Um, If you're making notes... When people are open, they start asking questions as well. And they have a lot of scientific questions these days. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> um, learn the scientific answers in, in this stage of openness. I find is, is, it's really helpful. Okay, so this... Um, uh, this scripture quote as well is First uh, Peter chapter three verse fifteen, and it says, "But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this." with gentleness and respect. That like sums up my whole talk. Okay. Always be prepared to give an answer. We don't know the answers ourselves, do we? Search out the answers ourselves. Because if we don't know the answers ourselves, how can we give them to others? If we don't know how prayer works in our own lives then how can we explain it to other people? All right. The final two are seeker and intentional disciple. So a seeker is not to be confused with somebody who's curious, but there's somebody who has now decided to change something in their life and they want to know more about Jesus. So they've decided to come to church and they want to know more. An intentional disciple is you guys. Hopefully. Unless you need to work on trust. Then we go back to the beginning. An intentional disciple is somebody who knows Jesus Christ personally. Who prays Lectio Divina. Who prays with the Gospels and knows who Jesus is and knows how Jesus acts in our lives. And goes out and talks to other people about Jesus. Um, and so until we're doing that, until we're talking to others about Jesus and asking them all these questions that I just asked you guys, we're not an intentional disciple. We're maybe just somebody who happens to be going to church, but maybe because just because we trust. We might actually be at the level of trust. So half of the day of statistics, one of the statistics is that 
a quarter, a half of the people that are in our pews every Sunday are actually not intentional disciples. They maybe, they trust somebody in the church. They trusted their parents when their parents said, if you don't go to church, you're going to hell. And that's the only reason they're still there. And now, when you tell your grandkids that if they don't go to church, they're going to hell, they don't trust you anymore. Because they don't believe that. Do we want to lose their trust? We don't, do we? Oh, I'm not, I don't want to get into, uh, because it's easy to believe in hell. And so, uh, and it's easy to tell people, if you don't get ready and go to church, like tell kids, right? If you don't get ready and go to church, you're going to hell, right? Or those other people, they're going to hell, right? It's easy to say that. Whether, whether, I, and I'm not going to get into any theology, this is not a, a talk on the existence of hell, I'm just saying people used to use it as a threat, right? But there are still people living today that are in church because they don't want to go to hell. And that's the only reason, right? And I'm, so I'm, just, I'm just saying this is the reality. I'm not, I don't want to talk about who is all in hell, whether hell exists, all those things. That's not why I'm here. So, we'll save that for coffee after adoration. But. Okay, so if I could just...
Okay, so the question is, is um, how do you deal with it when somebody that you love or somebody in your family is uh, living in or committing mortal sin, right? And and so obviously you you still and what kind of conversation do you have? And so obviously you still love them, so that's good. And you're even having spiritual conversations. So you got that first of all is way ahead of what the majority of our population is at. The majority of our population is not having spiritual conversations because they they whether they're living in sin or not or committing sin, they just don't even care anymore. Okay? So what's ha- what happens is so keep the lines of communication open. Number 1. How do you view somebody who commits sin? That's the question. It doesn't matter what it's mortal sin. Is mortal sin is mortal sin? So how do you view somebody who commits mortal sin? What do you think about them? Whether they're in your family or not. Like let's say a murderer who's in the penitentiary right now doing their time in Prince Albert for Yeah, it's up to who to condemn. Yeah. Right. So. Okay. Right. Are you faithful to God's law, a hundred percent? And so, my point is, I know there's a difference between mortal sin and venial sin, but when you're having spiritual conversations, you need to make it clear once. This is the church's teaching. You have to make it clear once. You have to say, the church teaches that uh, you need to get an annulment and then get remarried in the church. Oh, okay. I don't even see a point. Yeah. Okay, then that's perfect. Then I, because I'm not going to tell you to don't call out sin, um, but we only do it once. And here's the problem: is is we become that disappointed parent to even to a sibling. We just. Because they know we disapprove of what they're doing. And if nothing is spoken, if nothing is spoken, then it's this shame that they're living with. Trust me, they are, even though they can't speak it. And this is why we need to have honest, spiritual conversations and ask the right questions and let them share. And I'm not saying you should call them a sinner. Or say they're in mortal sin, but say, did you know that this is the normal path? Do you, a uh, path to to marriage, to remarriage in the church? Um, do you do you want me to help you do get an annulment? Like, do you want me to get the paperwork for you? You know, maybe they were just waiting for someone to ask. 
Yeah. Yeah. Now, so that's a whole nother thing. So now I've told you, you need to have spiritual conversations. You need to, what is your faith story? That's number one. How has God worked in your lives? Then talk to other people and I want you to memorize these thresholds, okay? I want you to memorize them so much that when you hear a person's story, you hear, oh, that's when they started trusting. That's when they became curious. That's when they were, oh, they changed something in their life. That's when they started seeking Jesus. Like you guys came here today, you were seeking Jesus, right? And then that's when they became an intentional disciple. And then go back to the sheet that you wrote out about what questions to ask them because you, now you know what stage they're on. Then pray for the courage to talk to people. It's hard. Okay, so this is how I'm going to finish. Uh, is I want to tell you I've done this now in Carrot River, Arbor Field, and Zenon Park. We had two groups. There was just 10 people in each each of these groups, and we talked about spiritual conversations and these thresholds. They were so excited. They were, we did it, it took us about 20 hours to do it. We did 12 weeks, and we did an hour every week. So we went through the entire book. It was a lot more than what we're doing here. And um, we did it, and they were so excited, they wanted to talk to all these people. They go to the grocery store, and then they would just cut, and then they go down the other aisle, you know, and they couldn't do it. And the one guy, this is my favorite thing, this is what he's changed in his life. Now he's hospitality, so now when they come into the church, he doesn't say, good morning, hello, how are you? He says, hey, God bless you. That's as much courage as he could muster in his life. That's as much God as he could handle. Even in a church. Can you imagine? This is how scared we are. This is how worried we are of hurting other people with our God talk. What are we doing? <laughs> anyway, it's been amazing. I now have to redo it with my parishes to get that courage back up. Courage is the big, our biggest thing. So um, we're going to move into adoration here just for a few minutes, I think. If that's all right. And I just, maybe I just want all you to think about what you heard, but just pray for courage that you can talk about once you leave these rooms, even in these rooms, that you can talk about Jesus and say what you need to say. Amen?